Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside Reviewance and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Tonight, we have with us a returning guest, John Embry, the CEO of the United States Professional Tennis Association, often referred to as the USPTA. John is a tennis industry veteran, having been president for Prince Americas and also spent 17 years at Wilson Sporting Goods, where he held a variety of positions, including vice president, general manager in the racket sports division. John also serves on the board of governors of the International Tennis Hall of Fame, something that both John and my co-host and Hall of Famer Steve Flink have a common interest in. Please welcome back to the pod, USPTA CEO, John Embry. John, welcome back. Uh, a few things have gone on since the last time you and I recorded, huh? Boy, they sure have, and I'm looking forward to getting into some of that. But Steve, uh, welcome to the partnership with Dave, and I know you're going to add a lot of value to the to not only our conversation today, but to all your guests. So you're you're a superstar in your field, that's for sure. Well, Echo that statement, John. <laughs> you're very kind. We're delighted to have you on. I'm looking forward to this. There's a lot of ground to cover. Great. John, I want to start, John, because, I mean, again, both of you guys have this common common link. Um, with you getting involved in the Board of Governors in the International Tennis Hall of Fame, talk a little bit about how that all got started and your involvement in that. You know, it was really interesting. Uh, uh, my first job at Wilson was the director of racket sports promotion, which Steve would know. So I took care of all the tour players, all the young kids coming up, uh, college players, et cetera. And one of my players was Todd Martin. And Todd was, you know, I got to know him when he was 15 or 16 year old. He was being coached by a friend of mine, Rick Furman from Lansing, Michigan. And, you know, I just followed his career and, and took care of him when he was playing on the tour, et cetera, et cetera. So Fast forward, and we stayed in contact for a long time, but fast forward to 2014 or 2015 when he got named CEO, and he called me up and he says, John, I got to have an industry representative on the board. I need your expertise. Would you join us? And I said, of course, I'll join you. I'd love to. And one of my passions has been, you know, having been at Wilson and having been in this industry for the long time and, you know, getting to know guys like Jack Kramer and Vic Braden and Tony Trabert and Butch Buckholz and so many of the greats. And, and even the players after that, um, I really have a passion for the game and the history of the game. And so it was a natural fit for me. So I'm delighted that I'm able to, to, to serve. I'm delighted I'm able to make a small contribution as small as it is. And uh, it's really, it means a lot to me to be a part of the, uh, a part of the International Tennis Hall of Fame. Well, you and Steve have that common equation on the, on the history of the game. I guess uh, I'll, I'll let Steve chime in uh, as well. But first, uh, how'd, you, how'd you meet or the first time you met Steve? Well, so my biggest client, I started at Wilson in 1986 as the director of Racket Sports Promotion. And who was our biggest client was Chrissy. And Chrissy and I got to be really close. And Steve, you know, became really close to Chris throughout her entire playing career. So I got to know Steve a little bit through that affiliation with Chrissy. And then we would cross paths at industry meetings or tournaments or whatever it was. But it really wasn't until... He got his induction in the Hall of Fame. He started coming to the Hall of Fame a little bit more frequently. And I was starting to, we got to know each other a little bit better. So, and I've always appreciated his writing. Uh, you know, he's always been the best of the business uh, for what he does. And so it was easy for me to go ahead and establish that relationship. And I have a high amount of respect for his work and, and all that he's contributed to our game. And I know his relationship with Christy is really, really special, as is mine. Well, David, I have to say that going up to those induction ceremonies and funny enough for some reason john and i he, he got it he described it all very accurately but there were many years 
for some, where we didn't cross paths that right. much, whatever the reasons, or said a quick hello up in Newport. But I've been going to those ceremonies every year since Chrissy was inducted in 95. That just, it became a tradition. And then I was lucky enough to get in in 2017 myself. And I have to tell you that one of the highlights in these last three, four, five years is, is always seeing John at, at one of those parties. And yeah. I remember one cocktail party a couple of years ago, David, I can honestly say this, where there were so many people I wanted to catch up with, but I ended up spending about a half an hour just talking to John. By the time we were halfway into the conversation, I didn't really want to talk to anybody else. <laughs> You're being really, nice. <laughs> no, I mean it very sincerely. He's really one of the nicest guys in the whole industry, David, and I think you know that as well. Oh, I, I was just going to say, Steve, I could see how you uh, could easily have done that at that at that event because you guys are both uh, two of the best in the business, and I'm just privileged to to be a part of to be a part of uh, the conversations with you guys. So so thank, thank you. Thank you, Steve. It's great. <laughs> Um, I, I do want to go back because, uh, I mean, I alluded it to the intro, John. I mean, my gosh, we actually, what did we do? We recorded this in February of 2020. I, we, we first talked about recording in late January of 2020 right. at the USPTA Joint um, Illinois High School Coaches Conference, where right. you are from in Illinois. Um, we first talked about it in January. We recorded in February of 2020, still before the pandemic. We then released it in March of 2020, just after the pandemic had started. Um, so <laughs> this is now the second time we, you and I have talked and communicated plenty of times since, but this is our second recording. Um, so much has happened since our first recording. I, I guess I'll ask you, um, obviously we had no idea what was about to happen, but how did you and how did your team and how did the USPTA pivot so successfully and still accomplish everything that they did over the past, what, what is it? 18, 19 months now um, during the pandemic. Yeah, it was, it was a real shock for everybody in the industry. And, and, and certainly tennis, tennis uh, took it in the shorts in so many respects with the players and the tour, et cetera. And our first and foremost obligation was our members. How are we going to go ahead and support our members during this? So when things cratered in March and April and the trough went down and clubs closed, I mean, my gosh, we had, 90% of our pros that were out of work and 70% of the clubs closed completely. Uh, we were really concerned about the, the fate of our pros and, and how they were going to deal with all this. And so uh, we immediately uh, swung into action and did some things that I think were really, really helpful. Number one, we offered free webinars so that our pros could continue to get their continuing education credits while they were sitting at home on their computers Let's give them a chance to go ahead and get continuing education credits and give them really good content. And a lot of that content was about how we were going to reopen or what we were going to do to go ahead and be, keep people safe at their clubs, et cetera. So there was a lot of that content that helped our pros. So that was number one. Number two, we started a Facebook page just on the COVID-19 so that members could go ahead and socialize things that were going on in their world. They could find out what other pros were doing, how they were dealing with it, because across the country, it varied in terms of the requirements that the government was having, et cetera, et cetera. So it was good for them to be able to interact. And we had 13 or 1400 followers on that Facebook page. The third thing we did is we set up a landing page on a website where we catalog resources for all the things that were going on. Whatever, what was the CDC saying? How could you file for unemployment benefits? Um, 
what would be best opening, best uh, practices for best opening, and how you can go ahead and do that? What, what are the things that you should do about filing for unemployment? Because our pros, a lot have never filed for unemployment, especially if they were independent contractors, whatever it may be. So we did a really nice job providing resources and information to the pros to try to help them get out of this malaise. Now, the good news is once June hit, man, things really rocketed. And you know the numbers for the industry for the year. Our pros were busier than they've ever been. Uh, there was a lot of excitement for tennis because, as you know, parents couldn't send their kids to sleepaway camps. They couldn't put their kids in basketball or baseball or swimming or whatever it is. And so they were looking for something for their kids to do. So go to Walmart and buy a $19 pre-strung racket and a can of balls and go to the public park, which were open, and then start playing. And so there was this tremendous surge of non-players coming back, coming into the industry, but also lapsed players who are trying to figure out what were they going to do? Because they couldn't go to gyms. They couldn't work out. So what they could do is they could ride their bike, they could walk, they could run or whatever, but why not play tennis? And so there was this tremendous surge of lapsed players coming back into the game. And so, you know, the numbers, 4 million players, 22% growth during the year. So that was really, really good. But the first three months, March, April, May, we had to kind of help our pros sort of get positioned in terms of how they were going to go ahead and, and, and come back. The other thing that, you know, the USTA decided that they really wanted to try to help a lot of people that were in need. And we started with the Tennis Industry United with all the different stakeholders that came together and started figuring out, okay, what could we do? And a lot of the same things I just talked about that we did for our pros, they did for the rest of the industry. And one of the big things that the USTA said is, look, we know that there are pros that are hurting. We know that there are clubs that are hurting. So how can we help them? So the USTA came up with a grant program for clubs, $4.5 million that clubs could apply for to help them get new balls for reopening, to help them with sanitization, whatever process they needed to try to get them going again. And then they were incredible. They wanted to make sure that our pros got a dues subsidy so that they wouldn't have to pay dues in 2021. The good news there is that we had 4,666 of our members who took advantage of that dues subsidy. Yes, they had, to, they had to do a couple of things in order to qualify, but half of our membership, half of our pay, dues paying members qualified for that dues subsidy. And thanks to the USTA for their commitment to this, they paid for some of it, we paid for some of it, which is a huge hit that we didn't expect from a budgetary standpoint, but we know that there were pros that needed that kind of help. And they really appreciated that kind of help. Even though once they got back and they got rolling, it was great. And the fall weather, if you remember, most of the country had terrific weather through till Thanksgiving. Yeah. I mean, in Chicago, it was incredibly mild. So pros were able to stay outside and keep teaching and it kept them going. So yeah, they got the due subsidy for 2021, which was very helpful. They got all this other support that they could go ahead and get. So they knew what they needed to do. A lot of pros got very creative by offering online uh, online lessons and they got video training and they they had their students send videos to them so they could go ahead and critique it and send it back there was a lot of really creative thinking out of the box which i think also contributed to this really nice growth in tennis so we were very fortunate i mean it's hard for me to sit here and say that during a global pandemic got the golf and tennis the two major you know sort of old sports traditional sports benefited more than anything else out there and, and thank God for that. So I hate, the, I hate the fact that I have to give credit to a pandemic for our tennis growth, but that's actually what happened. And, and it's, it's really, we got to keep that momentum going because one of the concerns I have is how are we going to supply the demand and how are we going to go ahead and keep these people coming back to tennis 
when now that things are a little bit different a year later and they've got other alternatives. But in a nutshell, that's sort of what we did at the very beginning of the, of the, of the pandemic. And I was really proud of our team and everybody that banded together to try to help those pros that were in need. Yeah. I, I, another thing that you did that your team was very, very creative on. And um, I was a happy participant of as well. And, and we really want to hit on this because this yeah. episode is going to be released right around the world conferences. You did the 2020 world conference virtually you and your team did an amazing job with that. Um, I know in 2020, you're very much looking forward to going back in person. It's going to be in Vegas. I believe the last time you had it in Las Vegas, uh, I believe Andre actually showed up. So yeah, it was 20, 2019, just two years ago. It was incredible, but um, you're right, David, let me, let me talk if I could, well, I'll let you finish. Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I was just going to say, I know you're, you're very excited to, to one being back uh, in Vegas, hosting the conference um, in person again, Las Vegas, it, it, even, even during this time, it's a lively place to be. So it should be fun. Uh, it should be a lot of fun for those few days at the conference. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll leave it to you now to talk about it a little bit. So the idea of a virtual conference, we, we clearly by April, we realized that it was going to be foolhardy for us to go ahead and do an in-person uh, event. You're and talking so, 2020. You're talking 2020. For- sorry. Yeah. Uh, in April of 2020. And so we got together with a, with a provider called uh, VFairs and they actually set up this virtual platform that allowed us to go ahead and create a really cool sort of environment for people when members like you that would log in, you'd go into a lobby of a hotel and you would be able to see, all right, if I want to go to the trade show where we had vendors there virtually, I could click on here. Or if I want to go to the auditorium where people were speaking, I would click on here. And so we, 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 we did this work with them. We set this all up. It was not cheap, but we felt it was the right thing to do. And then we said, okay, we're going to offer 15 sessions over three days, so five hours a day. So it was allow, allowed people a little bit of flexibility, plus the fact that everything was recorded so they could go back and listen to it afterwards. But it, it turned out to be really, really a terrific event. And we got, we had almost a thousand people. Actually, we had more than a thousand, David, because we had a thousand gift boxes that we sent out yes. to all those people that registered with a, you know, a hat and with a, a face mask and just all kinds of cool set of strings from Luxon from Wilson. So we got our endorsees to go ahead and support that effort. You got a box and it was yep. a thank you for, for your willingness to go ahead and do this. And so we had a thousand, more than a thousand people that were participating in the conference over the course of the three days. And we would have four or 500 people on a particular session which was fantastic. That's great. And, and, and that just shows you the power of virtual education. The fact that you can get people from all over the country who would normally be able to go to be able to chime in and be able to see all this education. So it was a lesson learned. We love doing it. Uh, it was a different sort of a conference because my gosh, so much of our conferences are built on face-to-face relationships and networking and be able to sit and talk to friends whether it's at a bar or whether you're at a gambling table or wherever you are, go to a restaurant. It was a night. It's it was a departure from that. So we now know what we got to do. We now know what we can do. But when we decided uh, in March or April of this year, as things were starting to really, really wind down and everybody was feeling pretty good about vaccinations and the positivity rates and the COVID cases were coming down, we made the decision to go ahead and go live back to Las Vegas, which we had already booked. And the hotel really wanted us to come. You know, we've got a contract, and so we've got to live up to that contract. And so through June, all of our registrations through June were actually ahead of what those registrations were in 2019. Why? Because people were so excited about 
the thought of getting out, going to a conference, seeing friends, getting away from their clubs, really doing something special. So we felt like, oh my gosh, we're going to kick it out of the ballpark. Then July 4th hit and oh my God, things, things almost came to a standstill because everybody's concerned and everybody's worried about traveling. Everybody's worried about being indoors. Uh, what is Vegas doing in terms of protocols? So it's, it's a challenge for us and, and we are going, we are going to be live. We're excited about being live for those people that have made the commitment to come, but we have to be very conscious of the health and safety of not only our staff, but of the members coming in. So we are going to do some things that the Las Vegas is requiring masking indoors and outdoors for both guests and staff. Um, we are also going to require our members to go ahead and fill out a waiver form, a health waiver form or a health questionnaire and a waiver form, because we think that's appropriate and judicious for us to do that just to protect everybody. And we're going to work on some social distancing, make sure that people aren't always together, shoulder to shoulder, whether it be at meals or whether it be at uh, some of our educational sessions. But it's going to be a challenge. And, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'm, I'm happy to tell you this. We're going to have half the numbers we had in 2019 after starting off with gangbusters. So, but we really feel like we're going to put on a terrific event. That's what we can control. What we can control is what we produce and how we're going to go ahead and deliver this product. What we can control is the pandemic and how people react in the pandemic and whether they're going to travel or not. So that's something that I can't worry about right now. We're going to go forward and do it on a face-to-face -face basis. But what I will tell you and what we announced today just received the email. I know where you're going. Exactly right. So we said, look, we're going to offer live streaming sessions for six of our big headliners so that if you can't make it to Las Vegas, and we certainly want to encourage people to come, but if you can't make it to Las Vegas, you are going to be able to access to the education. And the headliners are pretty terrific. And I know that uh, Steve will appreciate this. Uh, we're going to have Katrina Adams on Monday. We're going to have Jim Lair on Monday as well. Uh, Craig O'Shaughnessy on Tuesday. Wednesday, Stan Smith is going to be there because we're inducting Stan, and you'll appreciate this, Steve. We're inducting Stan into our USPTA Hall of Fame at our awards lunch on Wednesday, along with John Wilkerson, who is, as you know, is the coach for Lori McNeil and for oh. Zina and for Katrina. And uh, we're also going to induct uh, 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 Trish Faulkner, who's a long 50-year member for the USPTA and done wonderful things. But then the other person is going to be Alistair McCall, and then I'm going to do a, a, a Zoom call with Stacey Allister, uh, because now she will have completed with the U.S. Open, and she's got a lot to talk about women and leadership in tennis and whatever. So we're going to have six terrific sessions that we are going to stream live. We've done streaming sessions in the past. It's not going to be that sort of virtual event like we had in 2020, but we are going to have these streaming sessions so the people that can't make it to Las Vegas are more comfortable being at home. They're going to be able to go ahead and get it live, or they can go ahead and get the recorded pieces. So that was just announced today. We think we're going to get a nice turnout for that. So it'll be a combination of face-to-face -face as well as live streaming sessions. And I'll Not stop. a bad lineup, Steve, huh? No, it's, a, it's an all-star lineup. But John, those people are, are all, all of the, that, all of, they will all be there live, right? Except for Stacy, because of the Laver Cup in Boston the next okay. day, yeah. she couldn't make it. So she said, John, I'm, I'm going to do a Q&A with her, which I'm really going to be excited about doing. So I'll do a q &A. So she's the only one that will be remote, but everybody else is going to be there. Stan is going to be great because he's going to do his session. We're going to do a book signing with uh, his book about his shoe. And, and some people think I'm a shoe, as you know, uh, and then he's going to do the, uh, he's going to do the award session after that. And actually Kurt Camperman, my good friend is going to come in from Canada. Who's going to facilitate that 
particular presentation because Kurt and Stan were business partners back in the 80s and they both live in Hilton Head forever. So they know each other for 40 years now. And so Kurt's gonna have a great time. So we've got a powerhouse lamp, 35 speakers, uh, 50 speakers over 35 sessions. Uh, just really, really gonna be terrific. And we're gonna make sure that our members have a great experience. Amazing. Well, couldn't have picked a more, a more stellar lineup than that. And I think, you know, from Katrina right on through and Stan and Stacy, they're all, they're all gonna be very appealing for you. I, 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 don't think it, I don't think you could have a more, and they're diverse in their ways too, John. These are very different people. They, they share a love of the game, but they all have a lot of different things to offer. I think the, the, those people were well chosen. So if, if, if you were the responsible, kudos to you. All, all credit to the team. But what's interesting is that Katrina's going to open up our conference and she's going to talk about her book, Own the Arena, which I read and was terrific. I really enjoyed it. I learned so much about her personally. Then she's going to do a book signing afterwards. Right after that, Jim Lair is going to come on and he's going to talk about leading with character, his book that's out and give a presentation. And then he's going to sign his book. So that first Monday morning is going to be action packed. And then we've got a lot of people behind them. We're going to have a trade show on Monday night with 40 vendors there to, to show their wares. On Tuesday, we have our general membership meeting. On Wednesday, we have the awards lunch. Thursday, uh, Wednesday night, we'll have a sort of a wrap up uh, bar barbecue and, and, and reception. So it's really gonna be action packed. And, and like you say, Steve, not only are the headliners terrific, but there are so many other great speakers, Mike Barrell, Michelle Krause. I mean, you know, we got so many terrific- Just had Michelle on, she's great. Just yeah, had Michelle so, on. So we got a, we got a lineup that is non-parel and, and I'm really excited about welcoming everybody to Vegas and hopefully we'll have more people come in the next three weeks and sign up to register. Yeah. Quick story, John, about Jim Lair. I think you'll enjoy our old mutual friend, Neil Amder of the New York times and world tennis. Neil and I were working together at world tennis for many years. And he was the editor before I took over at the end. And, and Neil was without a doubt, the biggest supporter Jim Lair has ever had. And Jim has many in his corner and yeah. I, he used to, Neil would wrap up almost every speech he'd give at a trade convention, a trade show, wherever it might be, and say, let me tell you, this is from Jim Lair. And it would be something that Lair had just told him, some tip. And, and I, he's an enduring figure, John. I mean, he's really been in the forefront of the game for a long, long time. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm glad you got him. And, and, you know, his book, Leading with Character, there's such great nuggets in there about how people should, how to, he started his book off, and I'll just say this. He started his book off by saying, what are people going to remember about you once you've passed? If they go to your funeral, what are they going to remember about you? They're not going to remember about how much money you made or what positions you had. They're going to remember about how you treated them and how you dealt with the rest of the community. And that was just such a powerful message. How do you treat people is all about that Jim book and, and, and Jim's book. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't ask for anything better. So he'll give a great presentation as he always does. Well, you know what, John, in that, in that vein, I don't think Stan Smith has much to worry about. That's right. That's right. He was always treated people exceedingly well. And I think it's one of the secrets to his success is that even disposition and the decency and, and the fact that uh, he doesn't look at it as a star system. Stan, uh, Stan looks down on nobody. Especially with the media and how he treated the media during his whole entire career. And Chrissy was the same way. I mean, both of them. We're, we're just superstars in terms of their treatment of others. And, and you give credit to their parents, you know, Jimmy and Colette and Stan's parents. I mean, they raised them so well because they knew exactly how to go ahead and comport themselves, not only on court, but off court. And it made it a lot easier for you as a media person 
to go ahead and have access to them during, you know, during your career. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of similarities between Stan and Chrissy in terms of you know, the dignity they had in the public arena, the sportsmanship, the, the sense of self, the, 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 the quiet aura that each of them uh, exhibited throughout their careers. And, and I think they both admire each other a lot as well. No question. David, John, we sort of got you, off track. Sorry about that. But Oh, no, this <laughs> is great. No. This. this is why we have both of you on. Are you kidding me? This is great. Um, I, I do want to say, you know, I've been a proud uh, USPTA member for, for a long time. And, and the organization does so many good things. And since you've taken over, John, uh, you just have moved forward, you know, gangbusters. So many good things are going on. So many good things on the horizon. Um, such positive momentum with the organization right now. I know you got a lot with um, the, the certification standards, the PTM programs. Also, I, I also want to throw in there, and, and you can touch base on this a little bit, um, the other racket sports, whether it's pickleball or paddle, because that's picking up steam. And, and I was curious to see um, when you talk about the future of the organization, the, the, the positive momentum you have, and also maybe incorporating these other racket sports, um, where do you see all this, all this, all this positive momentum going to in the next five years? Yeah, David, that's a, that's a loaded question because there are about three or four things that I want to comment on. But let's talk about the alternative racket sports because um, I am a firm believer that our members have a responsibility to be, to, to be able to deliver new content or new sports or new activities to their customers. If the customers demand it or the customers asking for it, we have to be able to deliver it whether it's pickleball, which is a tsunami, whether it's platform tennis in the Northeast and Midwest, whether it's padel, which is starting to come on board or pop tennis, pros and clubs want, clubs want members to come back. They want members to come to their club repeatedly. Why should they chase them off to another facility to play pickleball or chase them off to go to a gymnasium so they could work out? Clubs are building spas or building fitness centers. They're building pickleball courts standalone because they want their members to come back to the club. It's all about retention. It's all about activity at their clubs. And so our responsibility as a nonprofit trade association is to make sure that we give our pros the wherewithal and the knowledge to go ahead and deliver pickleball platform, pop or padel. And that's what we're doing. And, and we feel really positive about that because members are asking for it and we've got to be able to deliver it. So we have a third party provider that's doing pickleball certification, third party provider that's doing our padel certification. We're doing platform tennis certification ourselves. And POP really doesn't need a certification because there's nothing really to certify. It's tennis on a smaller court with an underhanded serve, scored the same, et cetera, et cetera. So there's not that much that needs to be done for POP tennis. So I, I am bullish on these other sports. Clubs are looking at how they're gonna go ahead and find the space that they can go ahead and build these new facilities. Because if they're landlocked, and they don't have space, they're trying to figure out how they can adapt and how they can be flexible. But the other alternative racket sports is something that's, that's coming and we've got to be able to deliver it. Um, you did mention the certification pathway and I did want to talk a little bit about that because we did chat about that for a long time uh, in the first conversation. So in January 21, we were anticipating the launch of a new pathway and we clearly were committed to elevating the standards of tennis teaching professionals. We couldn't just rely on people to go to a weekend exam and expect them to be really, really good quality professionals. There's more education that's required. And the USTA as the accrediting body asked us as well as our competitor PTR to really elevate the standards and become better so that our pros, once they do become certified, have a higher 
level of, of education. So they're gonna be able to deliver tennis in a much better fashion. So we were anticipating this launch in January, 21, January of 2021. We were all ready to go with education content, new pathway, et cetera, et cetera, with tennis, and, uh, tennis education uh, one, two, and three are teaching essentials one, two, and three. And we got a little sidetracked. The USTA brought in some new staff. They decided they wanted to take a look at this, uh, this pathway that we had been spending two to three years developing, and they wanted to make some changes. And that caused some, some, some concern for us because applicants were putting money down to become certified professionals. They didn't know what they were gonna be getting. They didn't know what to expect that certification pathway to be. And that's not right from a customer service standpoint and we are in the customer service business, we have to be able to deliver what, they're, what they expect. And we have to be able to deliver on a, a, a pathway that they understand, they can, they can appreciate, and they can go ahead and, and follow. We, that pathway went a little sideways. And as a result of that, applicants were concerned, but said, what am I supposed to be doing here? I don't know, what, how do I get become certified? And we couldn't give them the right answers. So we've been muddling along to try to figure all this out and finally, we came to a mutual conclusion with the USTA that said, look, we've got X number of applicants to become tennis instructors, X number of tennis professionals that want to become certified. How do we handle them? How do we get them across the finish line? And we said, look, we're going to take what we have, what we've, a little bit of what we've done in the past, but some of the new stuff, and we're going to bake this into a stopgap measure so that those people that are in the queue that want to go ahead and get certified, we're going to be able to take care of them. Right. And we're going to try to get it done between now and the end of the year. So that in 2022, we can spend the time this fall sort of developing what this new, new pathway is going to look like with some modifications and some changes so that we can come back out with it in 2022. So it's been a challenging year from a COVID standpoint, from a certification standpoint. Uh, and you just, you know, we're trying to work together with the USTA on so many different things that uh, it's, it's just proved to be a little bit challenging. But I think we're on the right track now. I think we're going to go ahead and get those folks that need to be certified, certified. And then we're looking forward to getting forward, getting moving forward in 22 with a little bit of a different direction. So that's sort of an abbreviated version of what's transpired, David. Again, it hasn't been easy, but we think we're on the right track and we want to be able to make sure that the pros who are coming into the association are better trained, can go ahead and deliver great quality product. Because look, we talked about the fact that this game has experienced a little bit of a boom. We've got 22 million players playing now and all these people coming into the game. The last thing we wanna do is have them get an instructor who is not very good and have them have a bad experience on court. And then they're gonna end up leaving the game, which is the last thing we wanna do. And the other thing that you talked about is that we don't have enough tennis quality tennis professionals to service the demand right now. We talk about the PTM programs and ushering kids to go to PTM programs who have a passion for tennis, but. We've had so much demand right now. Our pros are so busy, they're turning people away. And that's not good for our sport. So if those customers that want to play tennis can't find good instruction, they're going to end up taking up another activity and then we're going to go back down. And that's just not what any of us want in the sport. So I'm concerned about what happens when we have this exodus of people in the next five to 10 years, when we exit out our baby boomers that have been in this sport for 40 years, me, we're going to retire in the next five to 10 years. Who's going to take our places? We don't have enough. We don't have that pipeline. We talked about that last time. We don't have that pipeline of good new young professionals coming into the game. So we're going to elevate their standards by making them better. But we've got to find kids in high school that have a passion for tennis, that want to go to a PTM program and learn tennis, 
or that are college players or maybe campus players, uh, club players on campus and get them to look at tennis as a viable career because yeah. there is a viable career and we just got to try to help them and usher them into the, into that, into that sort of pathway. So that's our challenge as an industry, David, it is not easy getting new young people to think about tennis as a career. So uh, anything you can do to help promote that would be fantastic. Steve, maybe in your writings, you can think about what do we need to do in tennis to get young people to think about a career in tennis? Because so many parents are telling kids, oh, you don't want to be a coach. You want to go into real estate. You want to be a commercial banker or you want to do that. That's not what we want. We want people that love tennis, not get burned out, stay in the game and become part of the certification uh, program that we have. So that's sort of my message <laughs> of hope and, and, and try to get people to come back in. Very well, well said. Yeah, Steve, go ahead. Sorry, Dave, just a quick interjection, John. I have to admit, I, I'm kind of astonished about the supply and demand problem with the yeah. pros. I, I had no idea, and I, I've been around this game a long time, and some people would say it's a nice problem to have, but I'm, I'm kind of shocked to hear that. Just quick collaboration on it, if you would. Yeah. Um, so we've seen people that have gotten a little bit older and have gotten out of the game uh, because they wanted to go on. They thought that they wanted to be doing something else, not just tennis. They may have come out of college and played tennis and started teaching because they didn't know what they wanted to do in their lives. And so they ended up going off a, a different pathway. And then we've got college players, you know, their college programs are shrinking because they've been cutting back because of all the budget constraints that a lot of colleges are facing right now. So college programs are getting cut. Uh, Title IX has also had an impact on that. But there's so many other dynamics happening with our industry. And the fact of the matter is we as an industry haven't done a very good job promoting that there are great careers available to people. Come into the USPTA, we'll teach you the ropes, spend some time learning. But if you wanna be a high school coach, or a college coach, you wanna go work for a manufacturer like I did at Wilson. You wanna go work for a USTA section or, or, or national. Do you wanna be a, a, a touring coach? Do you wanna be a director of tennis? Do you wanna be a general manager of a club? It's our responsibility to try to show people how they can go ahead and get there. And the fact that they can make enough money to go ahead and support a family, et cetera. That is something that we haven't collectively as an industry done and we haven't attracted diverse candidates at all. We still are looked on as an old white man's sport, and that's something we have to change. Look at the players playing tonight. Look at the players at the Open. We've got to get more coaches of color. We've got to get more female coaches. We have 20% of our members are women, yet it's a great career for women that can balance their home life and their family with kids. So we've got to get more women thinking about becoming tennis professionals and coaches because there is a good career that they can go ahead and do. So it is a massive problem that we have to face, Steve, and we are facing it, but this is going to be a generational change. I mean, we've really got to work hard over the next five to 10 years to get people thinking that, my gosh, I want to be in tennis because I love tennis. I have a passion for it. I want to help people, but it's hard work. It is hard work. And since you've, taken over, as, and, and since you've taken over as CEO, John, I mean, I've heard you speak how many times now, right? I mean, you have pushed this message every yeah. single time um so i mean you 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 know the issue at hand but you are also doing a great job uh you know stating the issue saying hey we need to get younger people into this profession and it, and it is a great profession so oh, um, thanks thanks david you're right I, I i do stand up on my soapbox a lot this is really important for me because i'm really worried about what this means five to ten years from now long after i'm gone that's for sure 
Yeah. Well, you know what? Look, I mean, we, the three of us could talk for, for hours about everything that's going on in the tennis world and in the USPTA. I like to say, John, you being the CEO, I mean, it's been the best thing that's happened to this organization. You've done an incredible, incredible job. I know Steve, you have to go back to covering the U S open John, you and I go watch the U S open and you got to uh, work on the world conference, which is right around the corner. You're going to knock it out of the park down there in Las Vegas. Um, so happy that, that the three of us have connected and, and keep doing what you're doing, John, because you're doing an amazing job at the USPTA. I'm going to hire you to be my PR man. That's for sure. Sign me up. <laughs> I'm in. And listen, you know what I believe? And I say the same thing for, to Steve, you know, I believe in, in, in surrounding myself with really, really good people. And, and I'm surrounded on this conversation with two of the best and no. you guys really do an unbelievable job um, promoting the, the, the sport of tennis. And it's just, an honor for me to kind of moderate the discussion. It really is. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Steve. Great to see you as always. I'm sorry I'm going to miss the Legends Ball, but you'll have a great time. And I know we're going to connect soon again, but uh, all the best to you guys. Enjoy the U.S. Open. We're going to have a great show. John, it was a treat for both of us. I really enjoyed it. Great, Steve. All the best, okay? Take care of yourself. Best to your wife, by the way. Best to your wife. You and yours as well. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Hey, David. Bye-bye.